You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. This show can be found on Podcast DC, the new local app with hundreds of options in local news, health, and of course of the DMV region. Download the Podcast DC app to hear all the Empire shows as well as the other great content. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Today, we're talking contracts with Joe Corey from CBS Sports, as well as the host of Inside the Cap, another quality podcast with Empire Media. We talk what it would take to sign John Allen, Logan Thomas, and Brandon Scherf, and even a little bit on Tim Settle. It's a good time of the year to discuss what new deals for each of these players would look like, in part because, of course, with John Allen, there will be talks pretty soon, and with Logan Thomas as well. Brandon Sheriff has a tag and Tim settles up after this year. This is when things start to get a little bit uh, more interesting with players as far as extensions go. So we'll see. Anyway, as far as Sheriff, I'm still not optimistic about a long-term deal for, for him. And we I talk about uh, with Joel, but some of the reasons why, and I do know one little aside, he told reporters last week via Zoom that he's still hopeful about signing a long-term deal here, but this is all about the action boss. He's turned down multiple offers over a few years in part because he does have that leverage. And again, we'll get into that with Joel Corey. Anyway, as you know, you can follow my work on ESPN.com. I have a story up now about Washington's plans for receiver Curtis Samuel with some interesting numbers from his time with Ron Rivera's coaching staff in Carolina and his one year with a different staff. One point offensive coordinator Scott Turner made to reporters last week. He still sees Samuel as a deep threat. And there was a big difference in his usage there in 2019 compared to 2020. It's all in the story. But I will say, heavier usage from the slot and out of the backfield compared to what he, how he was used before. I know this staff has said that they learned or they saw some of the ways that they'd like to incorporate him based on how he was used last year. Some of that usage, I think, in Carolina last year was due to not having Christian McCaffrey as well as to Samuel's own growth. And maybe they just saw him differently and it could open his uh, open this, this staff's eyes as to how he should be used in Washington. I think he will be used all over. Anyway, when we tape this, I'd ask Joel about Julio Jones and the possibility of him being traded. Of course, you now know that he has been to Tennessee. And the reason I was talking about the trade with him, though, is more so would it have made sense for Washington? And it really wasn't in play here. Washington has around $17 million or so in available cap space. Julio would have eaten up about $15 million of that. He's a great player, but he's also over 30, and they're not in position yet to consider themselves a Super Bowl contender. I think if they were, then you probably go make that move. Then you could at least look into that move. Maybe in a year or so, a move like this would, would have made sense. But for them, holding on to assets and cap space remains a desirable goal as they build a roster that, as Ron Rivera has said, he wants – to be sustainable. So the way you do that is by building it smart 
Um, if they had traded for Jones, they would have had less ability to extend other players. Now, again, he's still a great player, and he would have helped. There's no doubt about that. I just think the cost for them and the timing made it less desirable. They need to hang on to assets in case they need to make a move for a quarterback next offseason. And if it did nothing else, it made the game against Atlanta just a little bit easier. I do think, like I said, they have their quarterback. Go get him. They don't have that guy. So I think they really are trying to not wreck other areas in the pursuit of one a guy, even a guy as great as Julio Jones. But, yes, of course, he would have made them better. With minicamp starting this week, we'll get our first look at Chase Young, at least first look from the end of the season. He's expected to, att to attend the mandatory three-day sessions. I'm not huge on criticizing guys for not showing up for voluntary sessions. I do get the argument that he is a team leader and was the only one missing last week. It'll still come down to how he is when he's around them. And if he's the same hardworking guy and team-first guy, then there's nothing to really worry about. If he forgets what made him a team leader – then there will be an issue. But you could say that you could say it about any play, even guys who showed up. But that's something I think we'll see in August. And it, it's okay that others think he should be there. When you're a player like Young, you're going to get more attention. There's a lot of interest in Chase Young because of what he represents for this franchise. He is he has become the face of the franchise in only a year. It's kind of remarkable how what where he's ascended to already. People are allowed to, again, people are allowed to think that. I know the coaches would prefer him to have been here, but I also just don't get the feel. The need, I don't feel the need to make it a big deal unless it was a sign of displeasure on his end, like with Trent Williams a couple of years ago, or if he was a quarterback, let's say, you know, where a guy who you, uh, and he's a new quarterback to a team, that's a big deal because you need to get out there and work with the receivers, get your timing down. It's always good to be here, but again, it's just not something I'm going to make a big deal about. Um, it's a topic for now. It's one that will be forgotten in September. He will be asked about it when we, if we get the chance to talk to him this week, simply because as reporters, it's our job to ask questions. It doesn't mean people are against him. doesn't mean that there are going to be all these negative stories. It just means, hey, you weren't here. Tell us what you were doing. And um, you know, then I'm sure somebody will ask him, like, hey, you see yourself as a team leader. Should you have been there? Or what did you, how, did you, how do you balance that with, with um, your desire to go work out elsewhere? But he's also a guy who's going to go and go out to lunch with Jamin Davis and, and after the draft and, and take him over to meet John Allen. That's the kind of stuff a team leader does. I think that's bigger than anything else. So keep the, I'll keep all the other stuff in mind. There's a lot of stuff I'm sure he does that we just don't know about that is, a, that is um, leadership quality. So that's why players gravitate toward the guy. He's not somebody that I worry about. Um, really, again, when we ask questions about learning what he's been doing, because I am curious too. What what are you? What have you been doing? Not from an accusatory standpoint, but just curiosity. That's what that's what reporters are. Um, some guys like training on their own and just feel more comfortable with that. That's what this is. I think Young will have a big year. That's what matters. There's not much difference between the OTAs and minicamp. It's just that this week it's mandatory. But it'll, but I will be curious to see how Sadiq Charles is moving. He sat out the day we attended last week as a rest day as he still works his way back from last year's injury. We did see him a couple weeks ago, I, um, but I'd like to see just more. How is, how is the kid moving? Because I think he is someone who clearly the coaches remain very high on and would like to see him out there. Um, I also want to see more of Charles Leno. He looked good the couple times I watched him last week, but I want to focus on him just a little bit more, see what he has to offer. 
I also need to watch De'Ami Brown a bit more as he and Ryan Fitzpatrick get to learn one another. It's not easy, and it will lead to mistakes and turnovers in practice. I'll have, you know, I think when, you, when you're trying to get to learn a receiver, and if you're a quarterback who's throwing with anticipation or throwing to spots, you're going to throw that ball, and if the guy's not there, it could, get, it could look ugly. But is that, that, but that right now is part of the learning process. I know with the Fitzpatrick, history of turnovers, I get that. But this is also the time of year where they are learning. He's got to learn how do receivers run their routes at in this particular route? What depth are they running it to? Are they consistent with it? Um, are they breaking it off at the right spot? Because if you're going to throw and you want quarterbacks to throw with anticipation, that means the receivers have to be doing their job as well. That's what happens this time of the year. Anyway, I'll have a few podcasts with observations this week um, based off the minicamp, so tune in. Well, that's it for me. After this break, I'll be back with Joel Corey. What he sees is the price tag for John Allen and why Logan Thomas shouldn't be expensive to extend. Relatively speaking, that is. Hey, everyone. I want to tell you about a fun new offer from Monkey Knife Fight that can enhance any sports experience, whether you're at a game, on your couch, or in a bar. It's a daily fantasy sports league that is easy to play. You can sign up on monkeyknifefight.com using promo code JKR and play games such as more or less. Will an NBA player score more or less than a listed point total? You can do the same in baseball. Will a pitcher have more or less strikeouts than a given amount, etc.? It's fun. And every Friday, it's Home Run Derby. And on three guys who had home runs that night, all three hit one, you share in the prize pool. Every week, you can participate in their Eagle Eye jackpot based on the PGA Tour. Choose from any sport, from NASCAR to UFC and League of Legends. And of course, once football rolls back around, there will be even more fun prop bets. This is daily sports betting designed for the average fan to use their knowledge and have some fun. Sign up now at monkeyknifefight.com and use promo code JKR. That's promo code JKR. Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with Joel Corey. Well, Joel, before we get going, do me a favor and plug your podcast because it's something that people people like when you come on. They can listen to you more. How can they listen to you? Well, you can find my podcast inside the cap of Vampire Media. It's on NFL contract and salary cap matters. Um, I do one episode a week. If there's something special breaking, then I'll do an extra episode uh, during the week as well. So look for that a new episode. I haven't figured out what topic yet. Sometime this week. Yeah, and it's and it's valuable insight. But that's why I like to have you on because there are a few players here. As we enter into a period where teams now start to do more negotiating because they know their cap numbers for the future and all that, let's start with John Allen. We talked about him probably back in February. As you look at it now, how do you assess that situation and what it would take to to keep him here, you think? Well, the first thing is the Washington football team has done a very good job of making the defensive line of strength. And they're not going to be able to keep everyone, so they have to prioritize who in the long run they want to keep. Allen's on a fifth-year option for, I think, $10.051 million. He's got some pass rushing ability, so he's not going to be looking at that true run-stopper market. So you're thinking, worst-case scenario in his mind is Cam Hayward, which is like $16.5 million per year. He had Grady Jarrett at $17 million two years ago. Kenny Clark, who's 
over nose and 17 and a half million. Uh, that might be the range. Um, players sometimes have an inflated sense of themselves. So he may have looked at that Leonard Williams deal, even though he's not Leonard Williams, and thinking, I should be in the $20 million per year club. That's the case, then. I don't know if he's going to be with Washington beyond this year. And, and that's what I was going to ask you, because there is a range there. And DeForest Buckner is another one who signed a deal, I think it was last year. Over $20 year. Million, he's over $20 Right. Million so, so you don't view him, even though the, you know, they said, well, the cap always goes up, and it's the next guy up who gets that deal. If you're Washington, you would not approach that territory. No, because he has pass rushing ability, but he's not a double-digit sack guy, hasn't had uh, over 50 pressures in a season. So I would there's a limit to where I would go if I'm Washington. They also have to decide, is Deron Payne in the picture long-term on test? Well, we know Chase Young will be uh, based on what he did his rookie year. So not all those linemen are going to stay on the team. And then, then, you, then, then you have a, you have backups who can play. Ionitis is good. Tim Settle got his opportunity with uh, Ionitis hurt last year. So are you going to plug in one of those guys to compensate for not being able to keep the whole defensive line back? And Tim Settle is also up after this year. He's going to be an interesting one to watch too because that number could fluctuate depending on you know what happens with him during the season. Right. He's young, too, because he turns 24 in July. He's making $920,000 as league minimum this year. Um, but if I'm him, I don't want to sign here until I know, at least long term, until I know what's up with Allen. Iunitis has, is under contract for the next two years. If you want me to stay, you have to pay me like Iunitis because I don't know who's going to be what in the pecking order this year. Does Ionitis move back in front of him healthy, or how's the rotation going to work? I'd be inclined, given the age, if I don't, my playing time isn't great. He's never played more than 33% of the snaps anyway. If it decreases, I'm going to sign a one year deal next year, someplace where I have an opportunity to get a whole bunch of playing time, given I haven't quite turned 24 yet, and then go from there, hope I can show that I can be. A full-time player, what I do on a limited basis, extrapolates to better performance and more playing time and go from there if I'm him. And so when you're looking at at the way they're trying to construct the roster, as you say, you want to keep these this defensive line together as long as possible. How would you prioritize that? Are you prioritizing by based on, well, how much the guy's going to make, the value, you know, what you know, uh, the role on the team? How would you prioritize how you go about deciding who to keep? Uh, role on the team, um, obviously you want pass rushers because uh, you put pressure on the quarterback, it makes life easier for a quarterback. Um, and then also price, because there is a certain price that you're not going to go above somebody. So if the guy thinks that his market value or thinks he's worth something, which is going to have you more in the team, there's not a deal to be made. I would prioritize the run stuffer, which would be Deron Payne, as – less of a priority than keeping Allen because theoretically you can find a run stopper easier than you can someone who can also get the quarterback. And guys who can play the run well and rush the quarterback in the interior are valuable commodities. Yeah, absolutely. And that's always – those guys usually get drafted higher for that reason. And I think with Payne, the one thing that will be interesting to watch is they kind of feel like he's a guy who plays a role for them that others don't. But then can you find that guy in the draft? And, and that'll be interesting to watch there. With Allen, what do you think ultimately you think it would take about $17 million to keep him? 
Yeah, uh, I, I think he'd have a hard time turning that down. Um, if he thinks he's Leonard Williams, uh, DeForest Buckner, Chris Jones, good luck to you. <laughs> how do you how do you look at how Washington has positioned itself to handle all these moves? You know, just this year and then moving forward. Well, the one thing is they don't have to pay a quarterback long term, and it makes it a lot easier to keep players at other positions because Ryan Fitzpatrick is a stopgap guy. I don't know who the quarterback of the future is. Um, maybe you resign if he plays well this year, you resign him again next year, and you draft someone. I know there were. Rumors that they might have been in on some of these quarterbacks that may or may not have been available, um, like a Matthew Stafford and so forth. But as long as you don't have a high-priced quarterback, then it's easier for you to uh, build the other positions if the team on veteran contracts. And and that's I think what they'd like to get is that if if in an ideal world for them, I think you build up this roster, you draft a guy, you have a rookie quarterback with other high-priced guys, and a rookie or quarterback on a rookie contract and you're better off to maybe contend the way they want to do it. Yeah, kind of like the Niners are going to be doing on a yeah. go for basis because Jimmy Garoppolo won't be around after this year. Trey Lance, they gave up they moved up from 12 to 3 for a reason. Not to pay have to pay Trey Lance until 2024 at the earliest. So that will afford them to pay Fred Warner and Nick Bosa as well. So if the Redskins can get a cheap young quarterback, then they have a better shot of retaining the defensive line. And I think that's what I think that's they're going to try and swing for that next year. But we'll, you know, who the heck knows because half the things you don't see come in this league. Brandon Sheriff's another guy, a second franchise tag. When you look at that situation, how do you assess it? Well, since he's on a second franchise tag at 18.036 million, you're going to have to pay him a premium not to play on a second franchise tag and hit the market next year. You saw the Joe Tooney, who isn't to me quite as good as Sheriff, get $16 million per year, uh, reset the market. Quentin Nelson will reset it again, maybe not this year, but next summer. But I would look at that franchise tag number of I'm in and go, you know what? If you want me long-term, you have to come in a deal which averages something in that vicinity to get my attention. If not, then I can play it out. And his one caveat is durability concerns. He's missed time. In, in most years, I don't think that's going to affect him free agency unless he has a significant injury this year. Uh, the work around that, if you're Washington, if you want per game roster bonuses, any long-term contract that you have with him, so if his injury is not getting some some of the money, but you're going to have to reset the market for an interior um, offensive lineman if you want him long-term, whether it's this year or next year, and if you make him go out and play another year where he's a Pro Bowl caliber guy again, cost goes up. And the cost goes up. And also, do you think – And then you got to bid against everybody else. <laughs> you can't right. franchise him a third time, so the third franchise tag number would be at the quarterback number. Right, yeah, and that would be would be silly to do. What about, though, you look at that guard market this year, and a few guys became available because teams felt like they were making too much, so they become available. Does that – if you're Washington, does that factor in your decision? Like, hey, we – you know, and they also – they have a couple guys on their roster that they hope maybe can develop that way. But does the way that guard market where good players did become available because they were cup or cap casualties elsewhere, does that factor into it? Should that factor into their thinking? Well, they kept him off the open market for a reason. Uh, I think if he's on the open market, he's making more than two years. Those types of players, the highest caliber type players in the position, 
they're going to get paid regardless. We know the cap's not going down 15.7 million next year. There's a 208.2 million dollar ceiling. I heard that in an interview, Brandon being the Bills GM was using 195 to 200 as projections, not knowing what stadium capacity was going to be. So plan on it, probably at least 200 million. Teams will have more money to work with. It's a better climate to be a free agent than it would have been this year. And how do, how do you think that'll help? Like even with, with Brandon and with John Allen, how is that like, because agents obviously know this. We all, you know, you can see this coming. Do you th- do you already kind of factor that when you say it might take seventeen million to keep him? Do you are you already factoring that cap number next year into that line of thinking, or does that change it at all? Well, what you're looking at for like an out extension is what is it going to take me to forego the risk of injury and poor performance? So I have certainty without having to deal with that for 2021. And you look at where the market is and you try to slot yourself in like that. Um, nothing's going to, it's not going to be an intervening event with the interior defensive tackle market or defensive lineman market, which is going to shift where things would be. Right. Uh, still Aaron Donald at the top at 22 and a half million. That's going to stay for the next year. Maybe Grady Jarrett, if he gets an extension to Atlanta, would potentially need the gap room. Um, if they don't trade Julio Jones in order to sign their picks, he's not going to go above Aaron Donald. He'll be in that $20 million per year club on an extension if he gets one. He's got two years left on his contract. So the market is kind of baked in at that position. And then um, Logan Thomas is the other one. And he's he's an interesting one because had a really good year last year and, you, you know, right, right in time for, you know, he's got one year left on his deal. How do you assess that situation? He is an interesting one because age is going to be a factor with him. I know he hasn't played the position long, but he turns 30 in July. And I think that's going to limit how much anyone wants to pay him, um, particularly because you don't see tight ends, except for maybe Antonio Gates and Tony Gonzalez, sustain their play well into their 30s. That's the problem that Zach Ertz is potentially going to have. Coming off of a down year where he had missed five games and had ankle surgery, he hasn't been traded yet because the compensation hasn't fit what Howie Roseman from Philadelphia wants. So yeah, I think Thomas at least doubles his salary from his almost $3.1 million per year. But if anyone's thinking he's going to be paid like Hunter Henry and John U. Smith, that's not happening. Unless all of a sudden he turns into – the greatest tight end in NFC East history, then maybe that's going to happen. But I don't see his numbers really improving now that you brought Curtis Samuel in. Now you got another weapon out there that that may end up impacting his numbers. He played very well, surprisingly, this year. But I think if he were to make a transition to tight end initially and didn't have three, four years where he was toiling around trying to be a quarterback and he's 27 as opposed to 30, then it's a different conversation. And that's, yeah, that, and that's the thing is that that's the other part of it too. Like I also wonder with him, they are, they did bring in more talent around this offense with Curtis Samuel, Adam Humphreys, Deami Brown, Antonio Gibson could have an increased role or at least maybe do more. And I wonder if that cuts into what Logan can do. I do think he's going to be a factor because he still looks pretty good out there. But does that one year, does that help or hurt him in this situation? Well, you know he can do it because he's done it once. But 
I would make him do it again. Yeah. Is the whole upside thing is kind of like Terrell Pryor as well. That Pryor, when he switched from quarterback to receiver, had that one breakout year, but then he was always hurt, so he never truly got paid. So if Thomas can do it again, but then he's a year older, so it's going to limit how high you go with him. But for someone, this is his best contract, and it's averages about 3-1. He's in the six, seven, eight million dollar per year range. Then that's a significant accomplishment considering where he came from. And, and I would agree with that. I mean, listen, and, and it's a good deal for them too because I think they get a guy for a couple of years that they like at a decent cost, which then allows them to spread that money else out or money elsewhere. Again, going back to their cap, do you like how they manage it throughout free agency in, in this offseason? Yeah, no complaints of what, what Washington's doing with the salary cap. I think one thing we do know that you could call this team, if you want to give them a new nickname, the Washington Panthers, <laughs> because anything <laughs> that has pretty much that has a Carolina pedigree has moved, migrated to uh, the nation's capital. You, you this, noticed. <laughs> this isn't the first time that's happened. No. Bill, Par- Bill Parcells had his guys that, that were giants that followed him other places. Belichick took some of those guys from the Giants to Cleveland. And I used to call the Dan Reeves team the New Jersey Broncos when he was coaching <laughs> the Giants. So it's not uncommon. It's not uncommon. And is what's the benefit to that, do you think? I mean, there's a, there's a pro and a con, I'm sure. Yeah, well, I say familiarity brings comfort. So um, you know what someone can do, and they still have gas left in the tank, then that's someone that's a proven commodity for what you're trying to accomplish. That's that's what it stems from a lot of the times. And then I also, just, also why I thought Cam, Cam Newton was a viable option, but that's never going to happen now. Last thing, Aaron Rodgers. Is there a way with the Packers, with the, can they do anything with his contract, you think, to make it palatable for him to stay there? Or do you think he's probably on his way out like a lot of people do? I think he's on his way out in 2022. If they really wanted to make a commitment to him, first thing is they have to commit to trade. So then when it's practical, we're going to trade Jordan Love. And we're going to give you a real extension. He has three years left. Pack on two years. We're going to new money's of the two years is going to make you the highest paid player in the league. And we're going to have ship. You're going to be paid some of that money now in your first three years. are going to be guaranteed 21, 22, and 23. I don't see them doing that. Well, it'll be interesting to see if he'll put his money where his mouth is when they don't do anything with him. Cause I don't think they are. And they're going to wait him out, test his resolve. And is he willing to incur a mandatory $50,000 per day fine for each day training camp miss, which could be upwards of $2 million. And then they can start taking back signing bonus. It's limited for the season to the prorated amount, which is $11.5 million. He's already got that $6 million. That's, he had that $6.8 million roster bonus in March. It's paid through concurrently with base salary. So he hasn't gotten the 6.8, so they can start deducting any fines or money they want to try to recoup from that. He would be out that. And then if he retires, then it becomes a whole different ball game where if he sits out the whole year, they can ask for $11.5 million back, and he's not making the $14.7 million base salary and that $6.8 million roster bonus is a risk. He's made $240 million plus over his NFL playing contracts throughout his career, but that's a whole lot of money. I don't care how much he's made to potentially forego, so we'll see if he has that type of conviction. I suspect he ends up playing in 2021, and for the Packers, and he's out of there in 2022. And then that's when that's when the funnel heat up 
in a place like Washington, which would need a quarterback. Yes. So, and whether or not it happens, who the heck knows, but it will become a big topic. So Joel, I appreciate you coming on. Always enjoy the insight. And again, people should be listening to your podcast to enjoy this kind of insight all the time. So thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Hey, DC sports fans. We are the Beltway Sports Bros. I'm Matt Vazana and my brother, Noel. Hey, Noel, this is where you talk. Matt, are you sure I should be talking? You know I can't handle this censored bullshit. Settle down, Noel. We're just fans like you, talking all things DC sports every Tuesday and Friday. And check out our top five Fridays and all our awesome guests. Like Doc Walker, Mike Jones, Ben Standig, Bram Weinstein, and many others. Subscribe to our show wherever you get our podcasts and check out all of the great shows from Empire Media. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Joel for joining me and thank you as always for listening. Talk to you next time.